Hello everyone, I'm your host and thank you for listening to another episode of the Rational Standard Podcast. I must start off here by apologizing as it has been quite a while since our last episode. Unfortunately, life's been a bit hectic, but the show's back on the road now and we'll be back at the podcast with some great guests coming up in future episodes. For today's show, we have a gentleman who probably most people know by the name Shelley Garland, uh, but his name is Maurice Ruert, and he was the guy behind the uh, article submitted to Huffington Post, which uh, was in support of removing the vote from white men. Now, Huffington Post, if you haven't heard of this before, actually published this article, and it went viral all over the world because they took it seriously. They thought this was like an actual person trying to be serious. Hilarity ensued, of course, A number of things happened and the uh, editor at the time lost her job. But with the recent news that Huffington Post has, or Huffington Post South Africa has now gone away, I thought it'd be a good idea to catch up with Marius Ruert who started the email uh, all that uh, time ago and hear the story from his side. So please enjoy today's episode of the Rational Standard Podcast with Marius Ruert. And I'm very happy to be here today at the offices of the South African Institute of Race Relations, one of my personal favorite organizations in this country. And I'm here talking to my favorite South African journalist. He has, uh, you know, people write great articles here and then, but he just takes the cake, i got to say, this guy. So, Marius Ruert, thank you very much for chatting with me. How are you? I'm all right, Nick. Good, thanks. Good, thanks. So now, look, I'm sure you've been getting a lot of calls from people asking this and that because... The reason why I'm here is ultimately having posters, Huffington Post South Africa is uh, not looking so good. It's going to close down soon. It's going to cut its ties with, I think it was News 24, and South, Media 24 rather. Uh, and, you know, the thing everybody I think knows Huffington Post for the best was last year in April, there was a certain article published by a master's in philosophy student at, I think it was WITS. UCT. UCT, sorry, yeah, you get the two confused. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and this turned out to be completely bogus, and I think I thought it was absolutely hilarious, um, but of course it didn't end up so well for you. So basically I'm here to hear the story about the article uh, 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 written by Shelley Garland. But first, I think I don't think a lot of people, a lot of people may know the article, but but can you introduce yourself a little bit? And let's start off with, with at the time, what were you doing then? What prompted you to write this, and and then we can go from the story of writing it onwards. Um, well, last year uh, when I wrote the article, I was working for a, another NGO. Yeah. And um, uh, what I, the reason I decided to write the article is, you, a lot of I mean, there was a lot of kind of I don't want to say rubbish, but stuff that if it fitted a certain ideological agenda, then you could publish, even if it was patently untrue. I mean, yeah. One of the things was, for example. Uh, the research came out that say uh, number of uh, the proportion of the JC that was owned by whites was actually quite similar to the proportion of the JC owned by black people, but that wasn't what uh, people would latch onto. There was a thing uh, I think going around saying that something like ninety seven percent of the JC was owned by whites was actually repeated by the president of the time, President Zuma. Then. Yeah. And it was just uh, I felt if you could, if you just attack the correct demographic you could say almost anything you wanted in the media so it does sound like that sometimes when i read their articles <laughs> exactly and um, then i thought what is the most ridiculous thing i can write and then i thought well you know take the vote away from white men and i wrote this article and i sent it to a couple of places i sent it to uh, daily vox in south africa daily maverick oh did you yeah yeah uh guardian in the uk in the uk yeah and Huffington post and the only guys who replied to me oh, was Huffington post daily vox didn't reply daily maverick didn't reply Guardian UK didn't reply, so it was only uh, Daily Ma- um, sorry, Huffington Post. And actually, what happened was I just sent in 
an email from the Chetty Garden account saying, hi, yeah. would you be interested in this article, you know, blah, blah, blah. And the reply said, yeah, would be, that'd be a fantastic article, please send it through. Did they say, they said it would be a fantastic article? Well, they, I can't remember exactly what exactly they said, but it's like, that's the kind of thing we'd be interested in publishing. So please, please send it through. Yes, that is hilarious. So, so I emailed it. So, um, but I mean, I don't think we can, I don't think you can blame the Shelley Garland thing for Hafton Post closing. I think it probably... No, uh, of course not. Yeah. But it just brings back memories. No, no, no. I think it damaged the credibility, sure. Yeah, for you know? sure. But I'd say, I think since then, I thought the Hafton Post's quality was actually becoming pretty good. Well, there's a number um, of... I mean, for example, Martin von Staden, who's here at the Rational Standard, he's published a few articles on Huffington Post, mm. which I'm happy to see. Well, they've um, published a lot of our stuff, actually, a lot of stuff from yeah. the uh, IRR. Yeah, so. there's a guy actually in the Eastern Cape, Mbulelo Nguta, who's uh, uh, he's involved in education, and his articles are really fantastic. So they do have, you know, they've got a bit of a mix there now. Uh, but I suppose the, the point you were trying to prove is that, you know, you could almost attack any sort of demographic. Now, I have to ask a little bit, uh, was there a lot of planning that went into this? Like, mm. did you go to great lengths, or was it just like, me? what's No, you know, name? like, I remember uh, it was just... I was thinking about it. I'd actually been on holiday just before that. And then I was like, get a bit of downtime on holiday. And I was thinking about it and thought, well, let me, let me write this article. And then gave it a little bit of thought, but it wasn't like massive planning or whatever the case is. Set up a fake email account, or a real email account, but yeah. a fake name. Wrote the article. You know, it took me a couple of hours or whatever the case is. Then sent it off. And and then it was, yeah, the next thing it was published, you know. So, um, but I mean... <laughs> Had a couple other ideas because... Uh, we can talk, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, the thing I was going to go... Uh, I'd just been on holiday and I'd been in Southeast Asia, so one of the places yeah. I was was Cambodia. Yeah. So, and, I mean, you just know, they, they have a terrible history, the Cambodians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Paul Parks and the Exactly, and, and that's all... So, one of, the, one of the things that happened in Cambodia is they chased everybody out the cities. You had to go live on a collectivized farm and so on. And if... Um, if, if somebody saw you eating an apple that had fallen off a tree, you yeah. reported you, get, you were killed because everybody had to eat the exact amount of food... Uh, the same food, everybody had to be equal. So my next thing was thinking of writing an article saying, were the Khmer Rouge that bad? Were <laughs> the Khmer Rouge that bad? Because <laughs> yeah. they like, obviously that's the logical end point of Marxist thought, I think, where everybody has to be exactly equal, you know? Which Jeez. is, I mean, and at the end of the day, I mean, huge inequality is a problem, but inequality in itself is not fundamentally a problem. Yeah, well, I, don't, I don't see inequality, you're right, you hit the nail on the head there. Inequality itself is not the problem. Poli- poverty is the problem. Yeah, exactly. The analogy I always like to use is that the inequality between me and Bill Gates is enormous. In fact, it's much bigger than me and the guy who sells uh, stuff on the side of the road. Mm. Uh, but that being said, that doesn't mean that my life is, is necessarily bad. The problem that we need to solve is poverty, mm. not not inequality. It's, it's relative deprivation. I yeah, mean, you're right. Looking at uh, China is a good example. I mean, yes. their their Gini was very low. It was 0.15, I think, in 1980. You know, but yeah. now it's a lot a lot higher. It's about 0.5, yeah. which is fairly high. But the number of Chinese that have left poverty is something like 800,000 people. Oh yeah, no, it's so, been I mean, what, massive. What's better? Like there's so much fewer people living in poverty, but inequality is now pretty high. Yeah. You know. Precisely, and I also don't think, I mean, if you look at countries and you see how poor they are, and then you also see, see their standard of living, and then you also take a look at uh, their Gini coefficient, mm. for example, I don't really think that there's a correlation necessarily mm. between poor countries being one way or the, mm. or the other, or the same with rich countries. You may point out that, like, you know, somebody made a point of, like, take, like, for example, Venezuela or Zimbabwe during yeah. its worst time in the mid-2000s, you could say that it had a very high degree of inequality because all the elites in the political sphere had 
lots of money. Exactly. Um, well, the people could insulate themselves from yeah. the problems. I have to be honest, I, I'm actually very, very keen to see who would publish a Were the Khmer Rouge So Bad article. <laughs> yeah. I think that sounds like a great <laughs> idea. I really hope the people at the Vox don't uh, <laughs> listen to this podcast because it might be coming their way. Um, but that's one thing <laughs> I'd also like to just uh, uh, emphasize is when uh, I sent this article to a couple of places. And, yeah. And, uh, one of the problems with when it came out was me. It was turned from uh, an editorial error on the post, uh, part of the Afton Post to... Why would this the, guy do this? Oh, it was like, this is a, was a race thing. It was now this white guy is going for, you know, like a, uh, an Indian editor and so on. I mean, I just want to... Well, let, 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 let's, let's get to that, but let, let's go chronologically because I'm, I'm interested. This, mm. is like, this was like a whole saga. So basically what happened was, from my perspective, maybe you know some more inside yeah. information, this thing came out. And to be perfectly honest, I saw it just floating through my mm. Facebook timeline and I thought, ugh, there's another one. Yeah, I yeah. didn't even think that like, this is significantly bad mm. uh, because I see this sort of stuff all the time from the most cancerous of news publications mm. that they exist. But then I started seeing international pages like meme pages and, and right-wing conservative sites saying Huffington Post wants to take away the vote from white men. And I was like, holy jeepers this thing is like going global yeah, this yeah. thing is going kind of viral and then Varashni uh, Pillay wrote an article sort of defending that mm. so at that point that was where everything sort of went went awry for her because she defended it if I'm not wrong as mm. being kind of like standard feminist theory yeah now can I just ask quickly in the article what what kind of line of of reasoning did you use to say that well, it was that uh, white men have been on top for 500 years and now it's time to, you know, and they were the reason why Trump won and why Brexit happened and why the DA won yeah. Joburg, which is off You did also rubbish. use the DA, that's right. Yes. Oh, geez, that's hilarious. And the thing is, look, I mean, uh, we must remember that uh, white men have, we have been pretty shit for like, quite a long time, but the thing is, the uh, sins of our ancestors should not affect what's happening today, I don't think. You know, just because people who look like us right. did horrible things 100 or 200 years ago. And... At the end of the day, every ethnic group in the world has done something awful at some point. You know, yeah. There's no, I mean, we can't get away from that. And we should not yeah. have, like, sin by genetic... Exactly. And also, there's nobody, there's no no group that is the saintly group that's never done anything awful or whatever the case is. Yeah. You know? so, so, anyway, yeah, that was the line. So, saying, like, we've been horrible, we control everything, whatever the case is. And then, <clears throat> so, yeah, so that article went through, it went, I think it was published in the... Th- because it was just for the Easter weekend. Yeah. So I think on the uh, Thursday right, yeah. it went live. And then that's, and then it was picked up in the US by a lot of these like right wings and some yeah, a bit weird. Lots you know? of meme pages yeah, and stuff. Yeah, these bright bright guys, you know, guys, yeah. you know, crazy right wing. But anyway, so, and I think because it was the Easter weekend, it was also a bit of a problem. Because everybody's not at work. They exactly, and it's quite, quite news weekend or whatever. So then it came out and then uh, Varashni Pillay defended it. Do you know, by the way, how many views it got? I remember that about 50,000 shares on Facebook at one stage. Jeepers. But I don't know how many views it got for Huffington Post or whatever. But I remember Sipok uh, Longwari did tweet a, um, a graph showing every time their views on Huffington Post went up when they shared that article again. You know, so... <laughs> yeah. There was, so anyway, so then um, Varashni, uh, she wrote the defense of it. And then then I started stressing because then I saw it like it got so flipping big and it gone viral and whatever, you know, it's like, yeah. geez, like, what, what have I done here? No, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. And then, and the problem is, NASPAFS owns Huffington Post and oh, the person yeah. I was seeing at the time had quite a senior position at uh, NASPAFS. So, so you didn't think that one through? No, <laughs> no, yeah, so, I mean, and she was very worried about blowback. I mean, I won't say her name or 
No, of course not. Yeah. So, um, so she was very worried about blowback for us. I mean, then I was stressed. And then when they, obviously they figured out the Shelly Garland does not exist, then they arrived at my uh, office on the... Well, well, hang on. Let me just ask about that. When this uh, thing started to go appeal and started to get super popular, did they like send an email to the Shelly Garland account going, yo, who are you? Or did they just uh, do research? No, they did. They did send an article. I remember Sipo Kongwane sent an yeah. email saying, look, this has been picked up in the US. Yeah. And they're trying to hack his Twitter account or something. So just if you Sheepers. just watch your whatever. So I just ignored it. I was like, mm, okay. okay. You know. So then, then they obviously figured out nationally Garland's, you know, it doesn't exist. And then, and Varashni wrote the defense of it. And I think, I'm not sure when she, when the defense was retracted. Well, not retracted, they just took it off the website. Yeah. And then I think on the Tuesday or the Wednesday, then Peter Detoy and Ferrell Havaji arrived at my office. This, so this is the part which I'm, I'm particularly interested yeah. in. <laughs> so Peter Detoy and Ferrell Havaji yeah. arrived. And with another guy, a camera guy, I couldn't remember what Yeah, they filmed it. Yeah, and yeah, They posted yeah. it on their page. Yeah, now, yeah. now, the thing which I always found, it's quite disgraceful really for them, is that they made this enormous editorial blunder. They published what mm. is legitimately a racist and sexist mm. piece of satire as being serious. Mm. Uh, and that was what I thought was so brilliant about it. Is it was just like the ultimate... This is what your agenda is. It was like the SoCal hoax or what Jonathan Swift did. You know, what like, is that? I don't know. Uh, SoCal hoax was also, I can't remember the exact details, but was a professor uh, in the 90s, I think, Professor SoCal. He also wrote a similar page, and he, I mean, p- uh, piece of writing, and he sent it to uh, uh, an academic uh, journal. And, and it was, uh, I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was how gravity isn't real and you could explain it, and they just, and it's not real because of heteronormative I, concepts. Oh, really? So I can't remember, but it was something like that. And these guys bought it as well and it was published. And then there was Jonathan Swift who in the 17 or 1800s yeah. wrote an article about how we should eat Irish babies to, uh, poor people should, poor British people should eat Irish babies. Should eat Irish babies. <laughs> yeah, so we get ridiculous articles, you know, I'm, I'm sure this experiment has been tried before, and, and, you know, to try to prove a point. So, all right, then now tell what happened when they came to the office, because I think this is the part which most people don't mm. know so much about. So what happened, um, so I was really a bit stressed now, I think, geez, what have I done? You know, Flip is getting big. I was worried about my uh, yeah. ex-girlfriend, whatever. Then that morning, uh, I think it was a Wednesday morning, I had a phone call on my office phone. I was like, hi, is this Morris? I was like, yes, it is. They're like, thank you, put the phone down. I was like, oh. you know, so obviously. Yeah. And then that afternoon, I was obviously over lunchtime because I was eating my sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> um, I had the uh, lady at reception give me a call and says, your meeting's here. And then I knew that's them. You know? How did they find out that it was you? So they, they tried, well, I mean, I made a schoolboy error and sent it from the work computer to my email. Oh, so, I see. Uh, so they tracked track that and they obviously figured it out. So, I have a, you know, so they just arrived there at my office and they're like, oh, Morris. And I'm like, oh, how's it? You know, Jeez. they're going to a meeting room and then that's when they started the... And that was completely unexpected. Yeah, you know, like, I mean, also I handled it, what I should have said to them, it was like, cool, we can talk. Because like, fair enough, you guys yeah. caught me, can't run away now, it's fine. But I should have said... Guys, you should have said, me, why the hell did you publish my article, you morons? But I should have first said, give me half an hour, an hour, I'll come see you guys tomorrow. Or let's set up a date to come yeah. talk first, you know. But it was like a rabbit in the headlights. So, but I think in this whole thing, I mean, uh, a lot of mistakes were made. I mean, I made a mistake. Firstly, I should have, when it went viral, I think I should have come out and said... It was hey, guys, me. Yeah. You, should have, you should have struck first. Yeah, basically. exactly. Like and, and also, there was a bit of hubris on my part. I was like, oh, this is amazing, you know. And like, I didn't really think the consequences through, you know. So, okay. I mean... And then Varashni Pillai also made the mistake, obviously, of uh, defending it. So, I mean, it shouldn't have been published in the first place, but also yeah. def- being defended. Well, look, at least then, we know where she stands yeah. on voting rights. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then, uh, and I do think it was Peter the Toy and Feral Alphagy, I think that was also, uh, uh, I think, based in an office like that, didn't put them in there. 
greatest lights. I mean, as I say, I mean, I can't argue that they caught me and I should, you know, yeah. oblige, not oblige, but should give me an interview. I just think the way it was done and, you know, catch me off size like that. Don't think See, this is the thing most people don't know. Is most people just sort of saw that video in Huffington Post. They don't mm. know really the context around yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I've heard something. So they just sort of came into your office and you were sort of apologetic a little bit in that video. And you told you said, no, it was a bit like a rabbit in the headlights kind of vibe. Mm. Um, today, do you have any regrets about publishing that, or well, submitting look, that article? I do, definitely. I feel bad that Varashni Pillay lost a job. I didn't want anybody to become unemployed over this. You know, and yeah. also I might have uh, damaged my former employer, their reputation, okay. And also, uh, as I said, my person I was seeing last year, uh, she, you know, she was a bit stressed, and I think this whole thing put a bit of strain on our relationship, and we ended up breaking up almost a year ago now. Okay. So, but uh, so I mean, there's are there are those things, but I think overall, I mean, I did show there's like some, the I did show like the some of the errors in the media. I think you know, like like yeah. there's certain ideological echo chambers that exist. You know, as long as it fits a certain narrative, doesn't matter what you say, what the stats say, you'll it'll get published and it'll, it, this narrative can be pushed. Yeah. You know, so I think, so overall, I mean, I don't regret doing it, but I do think I could have handled it better and I could have possibly been a bit more mature. But I was, as I say, I, my rest of my name is Hoover, so I was a bit, you know. Yeah. So, but I think, and then also, I mean, I, I told the Renegade Report guys and I wrote another thing under that Nick Shannon name. And then, yeah. I mean, that was also a bit, you know, there I was being a bit, but too clever for my own good, I think, you know. I should have... I remember Ramon, I think, was probably the first guy to sort of find out. Well, I told him. I told our fresh Ramon and said... Oh, okay. Yeah, and I told a couple of people, like... Um, Jeremy Nell or not? I think Ramon might have told him. But there's just a few guys who... His views I kind of respected on Twitter. They were going on and I was like, hey, calm down, guys. This isn't... Uh, oh, yeah. You know, this isn't real. <laughs> you know? Explain exactly what happened. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, overall, I mean, I think it was... As I say, I think... Uh, but everybody involved could have handled things better, including myself. And but yeah, I, but I think overall, like I don't think I would have. I mean, I, uh, I think I wouldn't have. Uh, I would. I would still have done it. But I also think it shows there were problems in uh, in Media Twenty Four. I mean, I don't think they supported the rationally where they uh, probably could have. And also, I think there's such an emphasis on trying to get clicks and so on. You know? yeah, and yeah, these, yeah, these, yeah, these exactly. kind of things. And I saw somebody on Twitter actually saying a lot of organisations actually go for these hate clicks. You know, they, they do go for these ridiculous heads. Exactly, because they want, they want people, what, there's a lot of rubbish, and they click on it. It's all about advertising revenue, it's all about clicks, it's not really actually about good journalism. And I think that's part of the problem with the, the um, internet publishing and uh, internet publications. Yeah, so, you know, that, that's 100% right. And I'm, look, I mean, for example, me being at the Rational Standard, I haven't written an article for the Rational Standard in a while. I've sort of been doing this podcast because I can speak better than I can write. At least that's what I figured. <laughs> But I mean, I've noticed sometimes how we have to like sort of really craft a, a good title for the article so that people will be interested in clicking. Mm, yeah. Sometimes I want to write write an article about like some sort of economic principle, and I've got the name, and I just think, who the hell scrolling through their Facebook wants to read about that? Mm. Like, no, you have to, you have to, like, you know, seriously have some sort of outlandish name, and it, it's a bit of an unfortunate side effect. I must say one thing though, the general opinion that I've had, and I think the guys at the Rational Standard broadly agree with me here, uh, is that the sort of new polarization in media, that is to say, we've gone from a stage of where news was kind of like seriously trying to get the neutral mm. facts of the case, and I think that's still important, but it's gone to being uh, pretending that you don't have an agenda when you actually do, to mm. sort of openly having an agenda one way or another. 
And the, the thing I've kind of enjoyed about that is that I can read, for example, in America, I like National Review for the conservative mm-hmm. side and for the left-leaning side, I quite I actually quite like Huffington Post in the United States. That sometimes I've got, mm. like, like you said, you know, it got better over time. Uh, there are some ridiculous ones on either end, like Breitbart on the right mm. is just crazy. On the left, there's things like Jezebel and everything yeah. feminism. I honestly don't know what sort of editorial standards those people mm. have. It's, it's, it's really quite shocking. Uh, but they just go for the clicks the whole time. Mm. I think the key thing with this case, however, with your article, was the fact that Varashni Pillay wrote an article saying, mm. yeah, you know, most of the reasoning there was just pretty standard feminist theory. I think I think that was her. That was a significant point. Yeah, yeah I think where I mean she shouldn't have doubled down. She should have said, "Look, uh, we found out there was actually a, um, this guy who's pretending, but uh, jokes on him because we actually agree with everything he said." Yeah, it you doesn't know? matter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, I think there's a brilliant article, and I do think we should take the votes away, or maybe or the we agree broadly with what's been said, yeah, and we also we agree with free speech. And we think so. This is why we leave this article up. And they could have made a note saying, "Found Shelly Garland doesn't exist. It's actually this the kid called Morris, you know, or whatever." We just said, yeah. "Shelly Garland is not a real person; it's a pseudonym." That would have yeah. been a good move. Exactly. Me. And then I would have looked a bit like a chop, actually. Yeah. No, oh, you try to catch them, but you didn't catch them. You know, they actually called my bluff then, or whatever the case is. You know, or tactical double trouble sort of. Yeah. You know, so you're right there. I think that would have been a very good move on their part. Mm. I think I would have wanted to have done that. And I think then the nobody. I mean, I would have looked like a. And would have been idiot, but Russian maybe would have kept a job. You know, they wouldn't have. There wouldn't have been so much egg on the faces of people. Sipkhon Gwane might still have his job. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, like, let me just again just emphasize. I didn't. This was not an attack on anybody. I sent it for three other publications, and I do regret that people had to lose their jobs over this. Yeah, I know. So definitely understandable. Now the other part I want to ask is like. What did you make of the sort of investigation that kind of happened to this after the fact? Now, I don't know if you were actually at those hearings. I know that, for example, mm-hmm. I think uh, Ramon was there. I think Germ was there. Uh, and then there was this weird judgment that the guy made at the end. Well, I don't know if it was one of the lawyers mm-hmm. or somebody, but I heard he said something like, in order to treat different races equally, we need to treat them unequally mm-hmm. or something like that. Did you ever hear about the comments that were made during the sort of press ombudsman? Well, I didn't, uh, I didn't follow it closely, um, but I do think, I don't, I don't think it was hate speech in the first place. And I think, yeah, I think it should have been just for... It was not a threat to violence. No, exactly. I think it should have been fine. And I think Explorer went far, far, I mean, I think Afroforum should actually have left it. They no, I agree. I don't think Afroforum should be so, sticking their nose in this sort of Yeah, stuff. sometimes I think, I mean, sometimes I think they do good work, but other times I'm like, guys, what are you guys doing? Like, no. So, but I'll just tell you as an aside, so, yeah. uh, just after this happened, luckily a friend of mine, she managed to get me a kind of consulting uh, gig somewhere. Yeah. And at the office where the, I was working, this is where the press ombudsman hearing was held. In the same Jesus, building, <laughs> like about 100 meters from where, I was, not even 30 meters from where I was sitting. And I remember I went out for lunch and then I sent my friend a message and I said, and she said, yeah, because the guy's on the press council, his officers are there and so they often use the boardroom there. And I went out for lunch and my friend sent me a message saying, all these guys here about the Afton Post thing, so I'd like sneak around the back because I don't want to come like face Yeah, she's going to be down. Yeah, so I was like, oh, so you know, it's like coincidence that it was like in the flipping office that I was, ended up working in Sanson last year. They were like shabby hearings. Yeah. Like South Africa's a small country. It's <laughs> yeah. quite crazy. It's quite spooky. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I don't think it was hate speech. And I don't think anything more should have happened with it. You know, I think what should have been taken for what it is. It's obviously a spoof. It's obviously satire. 
They should just be left from that well, point. Not to some people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's actually been cool. I mean, obviously this is rubbish. We're not, you know, like whatever. Yeah. Let's leave it. You know, no, no need to get the press ombudsman involved or the press council or any of that kind of thing. I also thought so. that was a bit silly. And I and on the Afroforum thing, you know, I think it's unfortunate that Afroforum sort of gets involved in stuff like mm. this. To me, it's completely necessary. Afroforum is like civil stuff. Their litigation, mm. uh, the sort of community service they do, the academia, that sort of yeah. stuff is really fantastic, and that's why I really like the organisation. But um, quite frankly, I think, you, you know, they must take the high road on things like this. And if they mm. don't believe in the same, if they believe in free speech, then they need to act like mm. it. They can't litigate according to laws which they believe are unjust. Exactly. Yeah, you know, I don't know. It's, it's one little gripe I've had about yeah, the organization. Yeah, yeah. No, I can't help but ask you, because you're currently working at one of my favorite organizations in South Africa, the Institute of Race Relations. And uh, what exactly is your position here? So uh, we've started a new initiative um, so uh, funding for NGOs is getting quite tough in South Africa, I mean, especially for... You guys taxed very badly. Or... No, no, just it's uh, fun to get funding can okay. be quite difficult. Also, the industry takes quite a hard line on certain things, yeah. on popular lines sometimes. And the Guptas have left. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's part of the problem. So uh, to get funding is uh, getting quite difficult. So we've started a um, uh, process to get uh, people to support the... Individuals support the institute. So if you... Um, if you like the work that we're doing or that uh, you want to support our principles and the work that we do, you can uh, become a friend of the Institute for, you can pay a certain amount of money a month, 50 or 80 or 100 rand. And this, uh, this, this kind of crowdfunding model is uh, becoming quite popular. Very much so. Uh, follows it, uh, AfriForum follows it. So anyway, so I'm uh, kind of heading up uh, that arm of the Institute at the moment. So, and okay. if anybody, if any of you will give it a punt, if any of your listeners want to, uh, get involved, they can go to our website, rrr.org.za, or they can send an SMS with their name to 32823. So if anybody's cool. interested, yeah. So if they want to get involved. And, I'm yeah. sure some of our listeners are, yeah. will certainly be interested. Listen, Institute of Various Relations is a really fantastic organization. The main guy I always knew from here was Franz Crenier, who's an amazing speaker. You know, that guy just... I don't know, man, if he, like, sits here and, like, he studies a whole bunch of statistics <laughs> and he, like, memorizes them. Yeah, yeah. I remember listening to his speech at the Cato Institute and he was just like, this statistic, that statistic, yeah, yeah. this is what's going on in South Africa. But it was amazing, really fascinating thing. And this place really does some fantastic work. Uh, I was particularly, always loved to read Gwen and Gwenya's articles, mm. but she was still here. I'm very yeah. happy she's an MP now. I'm seriously wishing she could influence some <laughs> of the crazies in the DA. Well, she's head of policy, so hopefully we just can move yeah. them a bit more to the center or away from, the, they've been captured a little bit by this identity politics crowd yeah, to a dude. degree. It's, yeah. it's horrible. You know, I was just thinking to myself earlier today, like the DA is a party which has got some seriously cool people. Mm. It's there are people like Michael Cardo, mm. uh, Zach and Bailey, he's an MP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interviewed Gavin him. Davis. Yeah, uh, I don't know him so much. Oh, uh, he was shadow minister of education. Oh, okay. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's Mc... also that same like group with Cardo. And, yeah, you know. McPherson. Uh, you, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. McPherson. Um, uh, Khaled Kachalia, he was yeah. recently on the Renegade Report. Yes. Very, very interesting. I was so impressed by his mm. talking about economics. But then you have this sort of a bit more lefty, identity-obsessed uh, Musi Maimane, Pumzila yeah. Van Damme. Mm. And I really, really hope the DA can actually get into the more sort of liberal cabal. I think, I think the problem with the DA is they're a bit reactive rather than proactive. I That's mean, exactly true. I mean, did you see now <laughs> the, uh, this horrible thing, what real South Africans first or something, you know? Oh, is that, is that their new slogan? Yeah, yeah, and the thing is, obviously it polls well. You know, people are saying, well, you know, all these foreigners are taking our jobs, which is whether it's true or not, doesn't matter, like... You know, if you're a Liberal Party, you say, cool, like, I mean, even though they're foreigners, you still can't just say, I mean, 
obviously it's got to be legal, etc. We don't have to get into that. No. But I mean, you know, that's just, and also in this country, with what's happened here before, with for, with pogroms, that's effectively what they were against foreigners. Yeah. I mean, you, you shouldn't be uh, encouraging this kind of thing, you know? No, so, I, I mean, think people have been burned to death because of foreigners. I think it's highly irresponsible. Look, I mean, mm. South, South Af- real South Africans first, is that what they're saying? I don't know. Well, so I think, uh, don't know, I don't South know. South Africa what, first. I think South Africans first or real South African first, something like that. We won't misquote so, you, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyway, no, so, yeah. Nonetheless, it's highly irresponsible to mm. say anything like this because of the, the nature of the sort of violence that can sporadically erupt against mm. foreigners in South Africa. Uh, I've been really pissed off, personally, the rhetoric from Herman Mashaba. Yeah. Man, I had such high hopes for that guy. Mm. And then he took office and I was like, Oh man, he's just mm. another one. Like I, I genuinely. But you know, but I think what happened with Herman Schaber, I think, uh, because the the candidates, I mean, it was the uh, uh, little down in Cape Town, Trollope in the PE. Yeah. Uh, Simanga in PE. Simanga in Trollope. Yeah. Yeah, and then and Mashaba in Joburg, and I think they knew they were going to win uh, Cape Town. I think they were pretty sure they were going to win PE, and they thought they had a good chance of trying it. Joburg, I thought, I think they just thought whatever, and they just put a guy with with name recognition on, and then I think they were actually surprised. That they managed to win power in the city. Yeah. I think that's what that's that's personally what I think happened. It's an so, interesting theory. So because I mean they got guys. I mean Mashaba was never he didn't really have much history in the party. Where like Trollope, uh, Musimango, all guys who've worked their way up. Musimango's, I mean he joined the DP. I think Trollope's family's got history going back to the UP. I think you know up to oh, wow. the, yeah I think. But I mean his family comes from a political family, you know, the old white liberal tradition. But like Mashaba, I think. He just joined it because kind of like he's, he's, he's a capitalist. And he's a bit like a Donald Trump kind of thing. Yeah, you know, exactly. Okay, he's not the same as Donald Trump. But I mean, he's, he's like Donald. a businessman. He yeah. does say controversial things. He's very wealthy. Exactly. Very yeah. successful. And he, I think he decided, I'm going to go for political office. Whatever. Exactly. But I do think he, part of the reason he was a ma- uh, candidate is because he had name recognition. Yeah, no, he, exactly. Think. Look, I mean, he so, was the one guy out of that field. Right? I knew a bit about Ethel Trollope mm-hmm. and obviously uh, Dillo in Cape Town. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know who um, Solomon Simango was mm-hmm. beforehand. So he did have that name recognition and he's got a book out. He's really yeah. successful. Um, I'm just, you know, continuously concerned about his closeness with the EFF caucus mm. and the Johannesburg City Council. Yep. But that's also the thing. I mean, when the EFF and DA entered this coalition, there's not a coalition. One of the things was to say they'll support Musimaga and Twine, but in the Shaba they're a bit iffy about. Is that what yeah. the Yeah, yeah. that was when, in 2016, when the, all the negoti- negotiations were going on. Oh, yeah. And then they actually, then they ended up obviously supporting Mashaba for Mayor. But I mean, just shows you now, I mean, apparently they call Mashaba the EFF Mayor now. You yeah, know? They're, they're saying, I mean, no, I've, I've oh, I don't want to say hearsay now, but I hear things like that, that mm. he's now getting very close to the EFF. Look, I don't like to judge a party as a party. I always like to mm. judge them as individuals. Unfortunately, in South Africa, our politics are extraordinarily partisan, which mm. is something I, can't, I really hate. I much prefer the American version when you've got Republicans criticizing Donald Trump. Yeah, yeah. Find an ANC guy who'll criticize him, uh, Cyril Ramaphosa right now. Mm. I think that'll be quite rare, and if that happens, they'll get they'll lose their seats. Oh, but look, I mean, <laughs> when we had Zuma, I mean, when nobody, Zuma, nobody criticized the guy. Yeah, nobody Come did. On. And then, like, towards the end, SSCP was like, no, we've had enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But even, I mean, like, guys like Trevor Manuel, who's, like, quite respected and so on, but I mean, yeah. he kept chips. Mbeki. Exactly. Well, yeah, they all kept quiet. I mean, for people in the ANC, the ANC is more important than the country by far. Yeah. yeah. It's it, more important for Sergio Ramaphosa puts the ANC before he puts South Africa. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. funny. It was mentioned to me the other day when I was talking to Davi Roth. He said it's important to remember that the ANC's got Leninist backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing, Lenin believed that you had to have this vanguard party to leave the revolution. Yeah. So I think the ANC deep down inside truly believes that they're the only real legitimate governors of mm-hmm. South Africa. And of course, we do have elections, but 
I'm very concerned for one day when ANC loses their majority. I think well, that could be I, a serious I, problem. I agree with you, but I just have to say, I do think the ANC's been pretty good where they have lost power in the Western Cape and the big cities and yeah. the So from that point of view, like, that's been good, but I mean, losing Joburg Atwana is different from losing South Africa. Yeah, so I, I think mean, if they lose a majority of seats in Parliament, mm. there are, could be some serious yeah. problems. Things could get, I mean, who knows also the rigging and... All kinds of things. So yeah, yeah. We don't know. They could resort to desperate measures. Well. Exactly. Speaking of which, we're about to see the Zimbabwean election on Monday. I'm very, very interested mm. in that. Um, apparently, there's still a few problems with voting rolls and stuff like that. But, you know, uh, I'm living in Grahamstown now. A lot of Zimbabweans studying at Rhodes University, and it's actually really lovely to see the first election in Zimbabwe mm. without Robert McGowan. Yeah. So, really lovely. Anyway, we've gone off topic a little bit, but thank you very much for sharing the story. I just want to reiterate how I was such a big fan of this article. I was like, man, <laughs> this is brilliant. Like, I've never seen a, a publication get taken down like that. And, you know, I think it just serves as a message that you, you need to think outside of the box sometimes if you're editor. You need to be aware mm. of your own biases and don't just publish anything because it kind of suits your own narrative. I think we've been pretty good with that at my own site, uh, but it just shows you having composed really, you know, well-established, well-funded thing. Yeah. Well, I think with them it was probably a bit of a perfect storm. I mean, you know, they're obviously under pressure for content to come out. This thing will get us so many hits. They're quite new as well. Yeah, exactly. They'd only been around for a couple of months then, you know. So, yeah. and then like comes with your ideological bias, with the need to get hits. Then this thing comes in. You don't do your checking properly, and also. Part of their model was to get the bloggers to write for free for them. So yeah, exactly. they, don't, like, they don't check, they don't approach something. Oh, this guy's written a couple of things, this guy's pretty good. It's, you know, they get some random person to come send them an email. Oh, this is great. They write this bigoted piece of nonsense. Cool, this is amazing. This will get us so many hits. Let's do it, you know. Yeah. So, but I mean, as I, but I mean uh, even though Afton Post started getting, uh, it was a lot better towards the end. They, they had some really good articles. It was really a good one actually two or three weeks ago where the, it was a linguist writing about why when you speak English, yeah. it was called the Zulu language Zulu, not Isi Zulu. And like explain well, why. I, I, I'm very interested in yeah. languages as well. So that was very interesting. But then they also had the whole thing, that clip of Winnie Mandela calling Anton Harbour a Stratcom agent. Well, I haven't heard about that. Yeah, so there was a, a clip of Winnie Mandela from a couple of years ago talking how Anton Harbour and another journalist, I don't know, I can't remember her name now, were, were Stratcom agents and they didn't go to Anton Harbour. I mean, Anton Harbour was anything but a Stratcom agent in the 80s. Yeah. They didn't give him a chance to reply and say, hey, Anton, I'm going to put this clip you know, and they just went and played it. I mean, that's that's what Varashni did at uh, the Malin Garden with the whole Musi Maimani story that came out. Which, oh, yeah. Which claimed he was getting presidential lessons from the clerk. And she hadn't approached the clerk or Maimani for uh, comments, which is, it was his front page story. I mean, should you get both sides no, comments? you do need to approach that's very standard approach. Exactly. And they oh. didn't do that. And it was just, it was, the, it was a hatchet job on the DA, you know, which is fine. Obviously, Malin Garden on DA sports, that's fine. But you still got to follow, general, you know, You've got to be fair to both sides when you... Yeah, see, I get very pissed off because the DA is just... The ANC, the way that the media treats the ANC... Let's say the EFF as well. Mm. It's like the definition, I think, of the soft bigotry of low yeah. expectations. Yeah, yeah. The D, the standard the DA is held to is, is freaking high. Mm. They've got... Which is good. But which is good. Yeah. It, it is good. And I believe criticizing your own party is important. I have often wanted to ask... Whenever I get the chance to talk to a DA MP, I always ask, would you vote against your own party? Mm. And... I won't say the answers, but they're not encouraging. Yeah. But I mean, because, you know, one day, whatever bill comes to Parliament and the chief of the DA is like, right, everyone, you have to vote yes mm. on this. But I mean, that's, mm -hmm. I, th I think in parliamentary democracy, that's got to, I mean, you, it happens in the UK. You get like things like three-line whips and so on, where people have to, you have to support the party line, you know? And like on certain things, you'll get given a, a free choice. For example, say a, a vote on prostitution or yeah. abortion or something. 
But in general, you, I mean, I don't think there's, there's nothing wrong with saying to an MPU elected on DA ticket, therefore you have to vote for this. Sorry, if you, if you don't like it. Yeah, I 100% understand that. But so, that's yeah. why I like first past the post system better than proportional representation. Or I like, I like a mixed system. What yeah, yeah I would agree. Like, yeah. like, for, like Canada and New Zealand, I like the system. But Canada uses first past the post. Yes, but don't they also have a certain mixed member proportion? They might have it in the Senate, but I, I mean the, the lower house is definitely first past the post. Yeah, yeah, that is right. Yeah. So but New Zealand, you're right. It's New, a mixed New Zealand's group. got a mixed. The Sutsu does the same. Really? Germany, Germany as well. Yeah, yeah, Germany. And, and it's a system we have at uh, city level. Yeah, well, city so, level got the ward councils. But then you also, also yeah. So, for example, if you have uh, for the hundred seats in. Um, uh, say say Joburg has 100 yeah, seats. Yeah, in the council. 50, 50 will be ward seats. Yeah. The other 50 will be proportional representation. So then you, they'll figure out, it's cool, you won 30 ward seats, but overall you got 6% of the votes, so you'll get another 30 of the hundred uh, of the 50 PR seats to give you 60% of the seats in council. You got 60% of the vote. So look, next time we have a local election, you get a, you vote for ward councillor and you vote for party. Yeah, I quite like that because it just sort of, Evens mm. the balance in terms of proportional votes. Exactly, and you still have somebody. Yeah. And then you can get guys who can rebel and say, well, "Look, I mean, I got eighty percent of the vote in my my, in my ward. district. Exactly. Yeah, my so ward. people like me, you know. So I think you should. So I'm going to. Be, they then they're not beholden to the party. Yeah, exactly. So, so that's part of the problem with our current system, I think. Yeah, I mean, I hate the partisanship of South Africa. I think it's the bane of our politics. It it creates like this cult like mm. feeling within parties. It's. The thing that drives me nuts is these Daso students who post like Kula Daso and then that like fist. <laughs> when I ever see that, like, yeah, you know, you guys are not at all cult like. Yeah, you guys yeah. are totally individual minded free thinkers. Mm. Kula Daso. But maybe uh, it's a, <laughs> I mean, South Africa's always been a big man, you know, we've had, even during the net, the, the net, yeah. even Jan Spatsman, he was like, you know, the whole big man politics sort of thing. You know? oh, this so is before my time. So <laughs> Mine too. Yeah. yeah, of course. I mean, otherwise you would be about 100 years old yeah. if you voted in that election. Anyway, listen, man, thank you very much for talking to me. It's, uh, it's been an interesting chat, and I think it's just very interesting for the listeners to hear what went on behind the scenes, because everybody knows this article. Mm. It's famous overseas as well, uh, and it's quite legendary. So we'll see, and we'll see if something else like this happens in the future. Cool, man. Thanks very much for the chat. Hey, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, cool. Have a good day. Uh, oh, and just to end off, you know, as usual, uh, subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, go to www.rationalstandard.com to check out our articles, and you can also sign up for the uh, newsletter via email where you'll get our articles uh, every month. Um, you can follow me on Twitter, at Nick Babaya. You can follow Rational Standard on Twitter, at Rational Stand. And uh, are you on Twitter or Facebook? Is there any way that you want to be reached or if you don't want uh, to If people, reached? I mean, I don't tweet much. I just mainly tweet about crickets or retweet guys. That's but, perfect. Yeah. I love crickets. <laughs> if someone wants to follow me, I just at uh, Marius C. Root cool. yeah, on Twitter, yeah. Perfect. All right. Well, thanks for listening to another episode of the Rational Standard Podcast. Uh, stay tuned for next time.